Hello and welcome to Bit Party, a show where we take minor details from popular movies and use them to create ideas for new movies that we then sell to Hollywood for $4 million. This week, we find out what Marcellus Wallace looks like. This is Pulp Fiction. Thank you for listening to Bit Party. My name is Brendan Cotta. My name is Jared Cotta. And I'm Marshall Cotta. Well, Cotta Brothers, it's getting close to the holiday season again, uh, which is a really great time of year to be a movie lover and a uh, movie podcaster. Even though we're, we're deep into the, the Christmas decorations across uh, all of uh, <laughs> our, our favorite stores and on TV, and we still have to get through one of our favorite holidays, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a holiday that you really shine in, Jared. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge home chef. I would call it, that's, that's the term for that. I, I don't, don't want to get into that just yet. Uh, you know, I, I want to see how, uh, how everybody's doing. Check in because uh, we wanted to get this episode out for the month of November. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one big bonanza for the Thanksgiving. And, and this is going to be quite an undertaking. Oh, yeah. It is a tough um, one. Oh, yeah. And we usually don't introduce the movie uh, right at the beginning, but I think we're going to do it this time because I want everybody to kind of get emotionally prepared and, uh, and know what's coming next, even though you read the title when you clicked on the podcast. Right. Uh, Marshall, would you go ahead and just intro this movie and then we'll get into some of our other little uh, fun gimmicks and side bits? Yes. For this episode, we watched Pulp Fiction. You will know my name is the Lord. When I lay my vengeance upon thee. I'm not ready. Pulp Fiction is probably one of the best movies of all time, or it's widely considered one of the greater movies in uh, cinema history. Uh, and, and that's why we're, we're doing this uh, for our, our fans for the month of November, sort of a Black Friday deal, if you will. <laughs> um, and I really had to get this episode edited before I went into uh, my cooking marathon uh, mm-hmm. that I do every Thanksgiving, or as Brendan and I like to call it, brosgiving. <laughs> Marshall, I want to hear a little bit about your turkey day plans. Brendan and I, as you know, are going to be stuck here in Miami. I shouldn't say stuck. I mean, no, I'm you're not stuck. Like, yeah, stuck is a pretty strong word. We don't get that Friday off because uh, we work at a hospital in our day jobs when That's we're not right. broadcasting. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can't really make it back to California. So we've taken it upon ourselves to create Bros Giving, and this year Bros Giving is growing. Yeah, and it's becoming more of a friends giving. Oh, right, Brent. They they don't want to go back to their families. They want to try some of your famous your famous macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Marshall, what are, what are you doing for uh, Thanksgiving this year? This is another year where we are gonna be with family over in Fresno. Okay, cool. Well, that'll be nice. Uh, that's a nice long drive through dairy farms. Yeah. And, and absolute. <laughs> Cow. <and>, yeah. <laughs> it's very different from Thanksgiving in Miami. Considerably oh, yes. different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question to everybody. And Brendan, I, I think you alluded to your answer just a little bit ago. But before we get into talking about film, let's talk about eating. <laughs> and I want to know what everybody's favorite Thanksgiving dish is. Mm. Marshall, why don't you go first? 
Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I like this. I like this. There's a uh, cornbread casserole that is made um, every family Thanksgiving that has you know the the classic kind of cornbread feel, but it it also has uh, like regular corn in it, and it's it's delicious. I really like. My it. God. My God, regular corn with regular corn. Regular corn, guys. <laughs> All it's... that corn you you crave. <laughs> Brendan, what is your favorite Thanksgiving Day dish? My favorite thing that you've made for Bros Giving is uh, is probably the massive dish of macaroni and cheese you made last year. <laughs> that uh, macaroni and cheese lasted us like a week. <laughs> yeah, and this was at a time when we were only just the two of us, really. So yeah, I, I've really been throwing down the last two Thanksgivings. And uh, I know I'm, I've like... grown a little bit possessive of my six course meal between two people. <laughs> like, we'll see how the additions do. Brendan, you'll know that for the last two years, I was making each of us our own Cornish game hen. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, as a, as a Thanksgiving Day main course. This year, I'm going back to one of my favorites, turkey. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do that this year because we're going to have more people and I just feel like it's time to get back to tradition. I never had a really good turkey recipe until I found one this year uh on Bon Appetit, which <laughs> is my favorite cooking magazine. Nice. So it's going to be awesome. I think that you're going to like it. It's dry brined and glazed. Uh, that's this meaningless to me. I know, but you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> on the episode right after Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. I'm going to have you let everybody know as we kick off the Christmas holiday and the Hanukkah holiday season how that fucking turkey was. That's a good idea. Okay, yeah, I like that. Because it is going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm guaranteeing that. This is some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried taster's choice, right? <laughs> and he brings this serious gourmet shit on us. Let's get our appetite moving before we get into uh, this pretty complicated film, widely loved, going to be a lot of difficult uh, uh, opinions out there after we drop this episode. But before we get into it, let's hear what everybody has been watching to stay on top of pop culture, and then we'll get into the the main course. Uh, Marshall, what have you been watching? So I've been searching around for uh, on Snapchat for little uh, uh, short series things to just to watch while you're on the toilet. Keep watching, <laughs> you know. Yeah, watch while I'm on the toilet. Watch while I'm, you know, sitting in the car in the passenger seat. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and I came across one that's actually really enjoyable. It's called Donkey of the Day. It is a news clip show, and this guy picks stories of people doing just the stupidest stuff like getting angry over bad stuff and, and getting arrested for it you can't believe it's actually real we can actually believe it's real because <laughs> we live in florida knowing florida man probably can yeah that's interesting this is our first snapchat original series recommendation yeah that's pretty cool it's, it's good that you're you're expanding the the streaming platforms yeah <laughs> that people can look into i mean we're about to hit a, an absolute overload oh of my God. streaming. <laughs> and uh, Brendan and I are considering Disney Plus, obviously, because Good. everything I like is there. But what I've been watching lately is an HBO show called The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, I've heard really good things about that. The Righteous Gemstones is really funny. It has an awesome cast uh, led by John Goodman. Classic. And it is about a family that runs a kind of Walmart church uh-huh. uh, with a huge following a big fan base one thing that i've wondered about that show is did they know that they're 
corrupt or did they are they doing what they think is actually oh right? they're not necessarily corrupt oh really oh yeah okay. they're they're not really trying to cheat people i mean they're the only people that they're playing dirty with is when they move into another town that has uh, like congregation oh interesting and they, okay. they like sweep that congregation out um but to the to their fan base and everything they they love them and and they're uh they're good people generally but they're just you know they they take full advantage of the fact that they have a huge following. Yeah, big business, a lot of money. And of course, they kind of justify everything through their their beliefs. And and it's written by uh, Danny McBride. Oh, really? Oh, he's a writer. Yeah. One. Of, well, he's one of the writers, I think, and he's a, definitely a creator. Pretty good. Yeah. Background right there. He's awesome. Brendan, what have you been watching to stay up with pop culture? I've been watching on Hulu, which, as we all know, is the platform for stoners. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of original Adult Swim comedies. Okay. Like when they first came out, I've gone through like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, Frisky Dingo, The Venture Brothers. (laughs) And they started out as just something to watch while I was doing laundry. Yeah. But as I started watching them, I started to think about how successful of a a move it was for Cartoon Network. All they had to do was hire uh, talented writers that didn't really have anything on their resume and give them free reign of all these old properties that Cartoon Network had. And they made some really cutting-edge, revolutionary comedy stuff that eventually led to things like Rick and Morty. I agree. So that it's, it, For the time, it's, it's really funny. It holds up. We talked about this a lot when we were discussing Invader Zim, how yeah. Yeah. these cartoons, they did exist. Like, Invader Zim couldn't make it because it was maybe being marketed to an audience that was too young. <laughs> but it was during the same time that some of these other, more edgy cartoons were on their way up. It, it's it's too bad that Invader Zim failed, but it's awesome that you're going back and seeing that kind of history of, of how animation has become something for adults. Yeah, absolutely. And for any age. And I think the Cartoon Network is just trying to expand their fan base and use some time that like wasn't being used by kids. But what they ended up doing was giving a platform for comedy shows that weren't being picked up by other studios. Awesome. So I've been really liking that. Yeah. Did you watch Space Ghost Coast to Coast? I love Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I used to watch that with my roommates. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Dear Space Ghost, you rock. You are so cool. All right. Whew. Here we go. About to take on... This is probably one of our highest acclaimed films. Yeah. People are, are very particular about Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I think that the yeah. culture around it is almost wider than the film itself or it's definitely broader than the film itself probably one of my favorite films and i know it is for for a lot of other people awesome quotes great trivia lots of fan theories it really lends itself to bit party but we've been intimidated to take it on yeah until now say what again say what again i dare you i double dare you motherfucker say what one more goddamn time Our story opens up with kind of a prologue. A young couple sitting in a diner over coffee discussing what their next robbery is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny are petty criminals, uh, but they're they're looking to make a big score and not risk so much of their safety. Yeah. So they come to the conclusion that they're going to go ahead and rob this diner. And as they draw their guns, the movie cuts, title scene, credits, switch the music up, and then we're introduced to two of our main characters, Jules Winfield, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and Vincent Vega, played by John Travolta. And they're driving in the car dressed in 
black suits, black ties, talking about Vincent's recent experiences in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. What do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. We soon come to find out that these are hitmen for the pretty notorious gangster in the L.A. area, Marcellus Wallace. Mm-hmm. Vincent and Jules are going up to kill whoever is in this apartment. One thing that we're introduced to at this point is this briefcase that becomes pretty important further on, but it is what they have come to this apartment to obtain. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They go through this intimidation thing and they shoot everybody in the apartment and then it cuts right there. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that, that this scene actually has one of my favorite parts and something that I think the movie does really well uh-huh. that lent to its fame. There's a part where right before they walk up to the door to begin their hit, where either Vincent or Jules, one of them says, all right, let's get into character. Uh-huh. And I think it's so cool because with this scene and the last scene, what Quentin Tarantino does so well is he shows the dialogue between two characters that would happen before what we would see in a normal movie. Oh, that's a very interesting take. You know what I mean? It like humanizes mm-hmm. these people instead of just showing them bursting through the door, guns drawn. Uh-huh. It shows them just gabbing about someone's trip and like a quarter pounder with cheese. And I think I think that's cool. I think that's something that carries on throughout the movie. That's a cool thing to point out. I never actually thought about it that way. Tarantino is definitely a master of dialogue and it is Awesome that his movies are action-packed, but they're still mostly about those interactions. Yeah, they're so character-driven. Yeah. The next day, we're back to Vincent. He is buying heroin uh, from his drug dealer, Lance. And he is on his way to not go on a date. but to Not a date. But not a date. But to spend some time with Marcellus Wallace's wife, Mia. Okay. And Mia is played by Uma Thurman. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. Now I want to dance. I want to win. I want that trophy. Vincent and Mia, they have a good time. They win this dancing contest. Mm -hmm. There's obviously some sexual tension between uh, them. He's just such a fuck machine that he can't help himself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really Mia's fault. I mean, she is coming on strong because look at John Travolta. I mean, he is a... God. (laughs) What happens is she finds the heroin in his pocket. She mistakes it for cocaine. She starts overdosing. They go back to Lance's house, and that's that iconic scene. This movie is just chock full of like the most iconic scenes where she is dying on the on his floor, and they deliver a shot of adrenaline right into her heart, and she bursts up. If you're all right, then say something. Something takes her back to to the house and they agree never to talk about anything like that again yeah next we open up on a young boy being told about a gold watch that his father who recently died in vietnam uh hid up his butthole (laughs) in order for one of his other pow friends to deliver back to to butch butch wakes up from uh this flashback and it's bruce willis he is a boxer, and we had been introduced to him a little earlier, and he is supposed to drop this fight. Yeah, yeah. For Marcellus Wallace, he's supposed to throw this fight. That's exactly. right. But that's not what Butch is about. Butch decides to double-cross Marcellus Wallace. He wins the fight by actually killing his opponent. That was an accident. <laughs> but it's it's a noteworthy detail. <laughs> and he is on the lam now with his girlfriend, Fabian. They're trying to catch this train and then get on this uh, flight to get out of the country. Mm-hmm. Take all this money that he's won by betting on himself and from stealing from Marcellus. But there's a problem. Because that aforementioned watch 
butt watch. The butthole watch, yeah. The butthole watch. Fabian forgot to pack that, and that is literally the only thing that Butch cares about. <laughs> Five long years he wore this watch up his ass. So he heads back to their old apartment. Knowing that there are hitmen waiting for him because Marcellus lost a big uh, chunk of money on him. Exactly. So he heads to the apartment. He grabs the watch. Seems like everything's cool. <laughs> right, man? Everything's cool. Then he goes into the kitchen, notices a big Mac-10 sitting on the counter, picks it up. And at that point, Vincent, you know, our Vincent, yeah. John Travolta comes out of the bathroom, but shoots him. He's yeah. dead. He's dead. Anyways, he's feeling good again because he has not only retrieved the watch, he's also killed the hitman. Now he feels like he can get the fuck out of there. Yeah. But as he's driving back to their safe house, or just the little motel that they're staying at, yeah. who walks in front of his car? Marcellus Wallace carrying some coffee and donuts. What? That is one of my favorite scenes. Really? He, like, yeah, when he like, looks in the car, he's like, Motherfucker. <laughs> like, that is That's such right. a perfect, like, oh my god, what are the odds? So he rams him with his car. Then they start beating the crap out of each other. They run into a pawn shop. That's when the owner, Maynard, holds a gun to Butch's head, gets him up, gets him tied, tied up, and invites his friend Zed over. This is another really iconic scene. This is the part where it gets really weird. This is a weird scene, but it, it, as you yeah. enjoy more Quentin Tarantino movies, you feel like this is not too out of the ordinary. That's true. But I remember my first time watching this, I remember this scene is like, I was having a hard time with the rest of it already. And then the Zed scene happens, and I was just kind of thrown for a loop. This is that notorious rape scene where these two hillbillies are... A sort of serial rapists and they capture people, hold them in their basement, and slowly murder them as they as they have their way with them. But Butch gets out, punches the gimp in the face. I didn't mention that before, but there was a gimp in that scene. <laughs> you all know it. Goes upstairs and he's gonna get the hell out of there. But something comes over him. And that something is a samurai sword. <laughs> And he feels like if there's ever literally a time when I will be able to use this and murder people with it, it is now, and I'll be justified. And I can save Marcellus Wallace. I can avoid having to look over my shoulder everywhere I go. This might be a good investment of my time. Yeah. So he grabs that samurai sword. He slices Maynard, and he's about to kill Zed, who's the other rapist. But Marcellus gets up. And he's going medieval on his ass. Dude, that's such a good monologue from Marcellus Wallace. Because we don't get a ton from him until now. Yeah. But then he becomes the scariest possible person. I ain't do with you by damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. So Butch heads out with the approval of Marcellus Wallace, grabs Zed's chopper, yeah. picks up Fabian, and gets the fuck out of there. Yeah. Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Let's pause real quick right there because that is the chronological end of the movie the technical last scene if you're looking at it from a timeline perspective nice yes but the film is not finished we head back in time and we're gonna watch this other storyline play out we're back with vincent and jules and they're in brett's apartment who had the briefcase i was talking about earlier and right after they finish executing brett another man with a huge fucking gun mm -hmm. pops out of the bathroom and shoots all over the place at jules and vincent Misses every shot. Vincent and Jules get out of there. They take their informant with them. 
and they're driving their way to Marcellus Wallace with the briefcase. Mm-hmm. And as they're having kind of a little discussion, Vincent looks back into the back seat. He's chatting with their buddy over there, Marvin. He accidentally shoots Marvin right in the face. <laughs> Brains all over the back seat, all over the car, middle of the day. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. I don't know why his finger had to be on the trigger, but yeah. that's just how Vincent Vega rolls. That's when Jules has to give his friend Jimmy a call, and Jimmy's played by Quentin Tarantino himself. Great role. No one else could have captured the role of Jimmy. Absolutely. It's, it's a great performance by Quentin Tarantino. Did you notice a sign on the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? Jimmy, you know I ain't seen no shit. Did you notice a sign in the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? Jimmy is relatively sympathetic to what's going on with them, but if his wife Bonnie gets home, everything is going to hit the fan. Yeah. He's not going to have just a fight with her. He's going to get a divorce, a real divorce. So they need to clean up the car, hide the body, and get the hell out of there before Bonnie gets home. Jules gets on the phone, calls Marcellus, tells him the situation. He sends in his best man, Winston Wolf, played by Harvey Keitel. Mr. Wolf directs everybody on what to do, how to dispose of the body. So they finish the job, get out of there before Bonnie gets home. They're in these ridiculous outfits. And now they're at this diner, having some breakfast after they've completed their job and they have the briefcase. And it's at that diner where we go all the way back to the beginning and Honey Buddy and Pumpkin are holding up the restaurant. Of course, they have picked the wrong restaurant. Jules has his gun pointed right at Pumpkin. He's reciting his murdering verse from the Bible, <laughs> Ezekiel 25, 17. But instead of shooting, he decides to let him on his way, giving him the gift of life for as many as he's taken. This is going to be one that he gives back. Mm-hmm. You're the weak, and I'm the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Very I nice. It. I did it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yes. All the key points. Man, this is like such a fun movie, honestly. This whole woven story with a lot of different entry points and, and hard cuts and hard stops. I think that there haven't been a lot of movies since then that have accomplished this story pattern quite as well. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Especially that part after you know for a fact Vincent's dead, the next scene is involves Vincent. Mm-hmm. It's just such a cool way to go about the, the mixing up of timelines in this movie. Uh, I think that it's easy to see why why this movie has been so critically acclaimed. Yeah. I mean, but uh, one thing I want to ask you, Bren, is, and this is hard to talk about, but there was a long time, for a long period of time, that you actually didn't like this movie. That's true. It's going to lose me some clout as a movie podcaster. Probably up until maybe my, like, until I got into college uh-huh. where I did not like this movie. I was, I, I didn't like to watch it. I just didn't see what people enjoyed so much about it. Mm-hmm. I want to say I've since changed my mind. I now love this movie. Uh-huh. But every time I watch it, I can see what it was. What is it that, uh, that you didn't like about the, the film? First of all, I think I watched it a little bit too young. Okay. I maybe didn't... Uh, I was so stuck on a lot of the more intense scenes that I didn't see it for the, the subtleties okay. that really make it shine. But also, there's this, uh, there's this trait that Quentin Tarantino has where he goes for a lot of shock value. Uh-huh. 
And when I was younger and the first few t- couple times I watched it, it seemed like he was trying very hard to get a reaction out of me. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction to that was, well, I'm not going to give you what you want. This seems dumb to me. And so I, I'm not asking anyone to understand or agree. I don't even agree with that anymore. But uh, yeah, for a while, this movie just didn't sit right with me. That's a hot take. Yeah, it was, it was a hot take. That was my high school hot take. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Marshall, what did you think when you first watched this movie? Did you like it? I enjoyed this movie the first time I saw it. I really thought it was cool that they had all the different storylines going. I thought it was I thought it was well done. You liked the cleverness yes. of it? I did, and I liked it as much, if not even more, this time. Especially through the bit party lens, you know, it helped a little bit. But Jared, this is one of your favorite movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to hear just kind of like a, an explanation about what drew you to it, like, immediately. I think that almost for the same reasons that you're saying you were rolling your eyes and it was overly dramatic, those are the things that I think are great about it. The, the, the scenes are so memorable and iconic that you could do any number of abstract visualizations uh-huh. and you would still know that that is the scene where they're hitmen, where they're pointing their guns at, uh, at Brett. And you could know the scene when Mia Wallace has the uh, adrenaline shot sticking out of her chest. Mm-hmm. Just like all of these things are unquestionably Pulp Fiction. That's true. And so much of this film is extremely unique. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, there really hasn't been another crime or like suspense film that even comes close to what was accomplished in Pulp Fiction. That's true. And I think that it it manages to be so artistic and take itself not seriously at all. Sure. Leading to those intense, visually striking scenes that you were talking about. Definitely. Yeah. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. A couple questions I wanted to ask. And they, this, these questions will serve a little bit as trivia, a little bit as fan theory, a little bit as discussion fodder for us. One big mystery in this movie that never gets resolved is what the hell is in the briefcase that Vincent and Jules are tasked to obtain? <laughs> Whenever anybody opens it, there is an intense glow that comes out and the person looking at it seems almost mesmerized or hypnotized by it. There's a pretty prevalent fan theory out there, but I just want to know, Marshall, what do you think is in the briefcase? It's the Krabby Patty secret formula. (laughs) (laughs) That might be actually true. Yeah, that's a good point. Let me just say that the, the fan theory is that it is Marcellus Wallace's soul. That's the one that I've read. Okay. Ooh, it's Marcellus ooh. Wallace's soul. Yeah. They are tasked with acquiring it and bringing it back to him. Uh, some of the evidence that people use is the scene where you can see just the back of his head and he has a Band-Aid on his neck. Mm-hmm. And the theory that the soul is removed out of that part of your body. Uh-huh. That is something that people point to as a reason. But yeah, that could just be a nick from shaving. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the luck combination is 666. The, that's which, true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, so that's, that's I, a- I think I, I subscribe to that theory that they are there to acquire uh, Marcellus's soul. Brendan, what do you think? One thing that I saw was that uh, people were now saying it was a soul, but it wasn't Marcellus Wallace's. It was uh, Brett's soul. Okay, And I think that that's actually, that that could hold some water for me. Because when we were talking about this movie, one thing we kept coming back to is 
how did Brett, this scrawny, kind of cowardly guy, end up with something so valuable that Marcellus Wallace had him hunted down and killed? Like, if it's Marcellus Wallace's soul, what did this guy do to get it? It would make a little bit of sense that he would, like, maybe have sold his soul to Marcellus Wallace. Mm -hmm. He realized that was a mistake, or maybe the deal didn't go as he planned, so he then tried to steal it back some way and bungled it, and now uh, Jules and Vincent were going back to get it. That's interesting. Uh, To me, I think that it was they are like a middleman with the devil or, you know, somebody. Yeah. And Marcellus Wallace willingly gave the soul to them in order to obtain something back. And then when their deal with the devil fell through, they didn't give his soul back. I see. Oh, I don't know. That's obviously like... That's obviously fan theory from me, but because I can't imagine why Marcellus Wallace would put any amount of value on Brett's soul, because he yeah. takes people's souls all the time, presumably. That's true. But he would want his soul back. That's true. Yeah, that he would have a lot. He would put a lot more value on that. This this talk about like souls and 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 deals with the devil kind of makes me think of another trivia point in this film, which relates to Jules reciting the Bible verse. Uh-huh. And Brendan, you yes. found this out that Ezekiel twenty five seventeen does not go the way that Jules recites it. It's a little bit different. It's just as intense and violent. It's just been condensed a lot. It was written by Quentin Tarantino for the purposes of this movie. Yeah. Leading people to wonder if maybe the Bible is a little bit different in uh, the Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe. The QTCU. Yeah, the QTCU. <laughs> what we've known over the course of watching a lot of his his films is that all of his movies do exist in this same universe. Yes, yeah. I mean, quite quite easily from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction, Vic Vega is cousins with Vincent Vega. So there's a character yeah. in Reservoir Dogs called Vic Vega, and he's mm. cousins with John Travolta's character. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's spanning through at least those films, and then it goes on and on and on, and, and everybody has said that there are subtle nods to all of his other films. Yeah. It's a lot like Pixar. It's a- <laughs> where there's like a fish in the scene with Monsters, Inc., and that's yeah. like Finding Nemo. They're yeah. always hyping up the next movie. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really like about the QTCU is that, uh, according to fan theories, the main difference is that it's way more violent, and people are way more accepting of violence. Oh, yeah, you had a really interesting point about that that actually relates to Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, it, it, people relate it back to the fact that in Inglorious Bastards, it's shown that Hitler didn't kill himself while he, when he knew he was losing the war. He was, in fact, gunned down, and the entire Gestapo was burned alive in a, in a movie theater. Considering this would be a pretty publicized death, this would lead down the line to romanticizing violence. Exactly. Yeah, I see. Making it more okay, just happening in the streets, making it a much bigger business to do out in public than it would be in like in our world. Yeah, I like that. I like like that. in Kill Bill, he, there's a hit squad of like five assassin women. Yeah, that is known to the public. That would happen in a world that's so accepting of this violence. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's cool. Before we get into our bit part characters, our pitches, baby. (laughs) I wanted to drop one more little trivia bit that is really important. And there is a a really sad scene when Vincent is talking with Lance, his heroin dealer, and he's telling him, man, my Malibu was out of storage for one day and somebody keyed it. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino 
has since confirmed that the person that keyed Vincent's Malibu was Butch. Really? Yeah, it's great. Mm. It's just another little tie-in. But even more important than that is the fact that the Malibu scene in the movie it was actually Quentin Tarantino's. Oh, really? And during filming, it got stolen. <laughs> and it wasn't returned to him until many, many months after filming was done. Really? Yeah. That's just some important film history about one of the greatest films in history. <laughs> Let's take a short intermission to talk about a cool new collaboration taking place in the Bit Party universe. Coral Gables Art Cinema is a nonprofit art house theater located at 260 Aragon Avenue in Coral Gables, Florida. They showcase first run and regional premieres of American independent and international features. They also show a ton of classic films, film festival hits, and special projects. Their late night, after hours program showcases cult classics, foreign favorites, and even summer blockbusters every Saturday night, often on 35mm. Tickets are only $8 and include a free popcorn and happy hour prices. Visit their website, gablecinema.com, for showtimes and schedules. We invite you to watch some movies with the Cotta Brothers at the Coral Gables Art Cinema. Now back to Bit Party. We've made it through the plot, and we've made it through some of our favorite trivia, and uh, we've debated the contents of the briefcase. It's time to move on to what makes Bit Party stand out from every other podcast out there. <laughs> <laughs> and that is high-quality pitches with a $4 million price tag. Okay, everybody ready? I think I got a good one. I believe that mine is going to exceed everyone else's pitches. <laughs> oh. um, but that's that's only because my phone ran out of battery today, and so I was forced to think and use my imagination. <laughs> and it hurt, but I, I did it, and I think it really paid off. And uh, I might start using that tactic more often when I'm supposed to be coming up with a bit party pitch. I was like, well, I guess I'll write. Okay, that being said, I don't want to go first. I want to go second. I want... I think I want Marshall or Brendan to go first. Oh, no, it's very decisive. Oh, okay. I think I would like to go first. Get this out of the way, all right? Okay. So mine is going to be centered around mainly Jimmy. I think uh, the wolf is going to play a uh, pretty good role, too. In the movie, they bring the car to Jimmy's house and get it cleaned. And they, they call on the wolf to do this. So I think it would be cool if Jimmy was kind of an apprentice to the wolf later on, and he carried on the wolf's legacy as like a cleaner, something like that. Oh, I think that that's a, that's a good pitch. It works because Jimmy is clearly involved in some level of criminal behavior. I, obviously, for him to be friends with Jules and also to not really react to the fact that there is a dead body in his garage, but more that he wants it gone before his wife gets home, yeah. implies that he was involved in the life prior to. I, I think it's a cool angle that he might get a little bit nostalgic for that life after mm -hmm. seeing the wolf at work. And uh, a little bit restless, like he wants to get back into it slowly but surely. All right, well then I'm going to go next. My bit part character and the bit part that stole my heart was young Brett. Check out the big brain on Brett. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. <laughs> and you'll all remember that Brett is shot many, many times over by Jules and Vincent. What makes Brett a really interesting character is that he 
if we're to agree with the fan fiction, is carrying a briefcase that holds Marcellus Wallace's soul. Mm -hmm. But why does he have that? How did he get it? And what was he going to do with it? And why did Marcellus Wallace potentially give it to him willingly? And what is Brett's whole plan now? Yeah. And so I would be exploring that. What I'm saying is that Brett is a preacher or a priest by trade. Okay. And his service is cleaning souls. Hmm. Marcellus Wallace has given him his soul, but... Brett sees this as a business opportunity. Okay. He gets a little greedy, and he decides that he's going to uh, maybe do something else or hold it hostage or maybe even sell it to the devil. Oh, interesting. Because there's probably a high price on a mob boss's soul. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so obviously oh. it's the it's what happens to, to him, how he got in that situation, leading up into the part of the movie where we see him and his crew. Huh. I like this angle a lot. I really like that. I think that's actually really clever. That's well, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we got our pick. I think we should just go on from here. No, no, Bren. Movie. <laughs> no, no, I think we... no, Bren. We have to hear your shitty pitch. We really going to do this? I put a lot of thought into this one. My pitch is also centered around the wolf. Mm-hmm. Who is, I mean, he's just an interesting character. I think, I think there's a lot of unexplored territory with him. Undoubtedly. But instead of go looking forward to see what he's going to do with his legacy, my thinking is... How did he get to the point where he can fix anything? He's just the guy no matter what the situation is. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. for my movie, I want to look at the wolf's origins with Marcellus Wallace. Okay. Uh, with consistent flashbacks to what in his life got him to being so calm, cool, and collected. And that brings him to... Okay. So that was my, it's kind of like a an unnecessary backstory, kind of like the Joker. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you got it that way. That's well said. So do with that what you will, but I think it would make an interesting movie. Go back in there and chill them niggas out and wait for the wolf who should be coming directly. You send in the wolf? It's pretty good. You're bookending the components of the film or uh-huh. what we see in the film. Brendan has a prequel. Marshall has more of a sequel. Mm-hmm. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to vote for mine. Like it's just a little bit more out there. I like yours for for the fact that it's out there. It doesn't feel like just another addition in this series of vignettes. It's a whole different genre. And as much as I love a good backstory, I'm totally content with the wolf just remaining a mystery. What yeah. do you think, Marshall? Do you want to like maybe throw mine a vote? No, yeah. (laughs) See, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Jared's is a really good choice just because it is an entirely different movie in itself. It gives us a lot of room to work, and then we don't have to recast all the characters of Pulp Fiction because it's a whole different (laughs) spinoff thing. Cool. Cool. (laughs) You did Cool. That's two in a row. I didn't want to say anything, but I also nailed the Scream episode. Oh, that's right. This has been a strong season for you. I feel like it has. Have I had one this season? I don't think so. (laughs) But you made the pod, you invented the podcast. So, you you know, you get all the credit. I'm glad you guys are finally catching up because I feel like the first two seasons I I, I dominated. Carried the team. I carried us. I agree. So, this is, you guys are really pulling your weight now. I've learned. What just happened here was a fucking miracle. Let's dive into this spinoff here. This next installment in the QTCU. (laughs) That was really my inspiration for this, guys. We had talked about how it's possible that in Quentin Tarantino's universe, the Bible has 
different verses and mm-hmm. maybe they glorify violence a little bit more and all, all these other different things. So for that reason, I really wanted to explore something that was a little bit metaphysical, maybe could be explained by something that's real in Quentin Tarantino's world. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give it another divergence from the real world. Now let me take a wild guess here. You're Brett, right? Yeah. Beginning, middle, end, we open up on Brett. He is not the scumbag criminal that we see in Pulp Fiction. He's actually a priest. Okay. He has his own congregation. He's a man of God. I think that works because he's clearly not designed for the criminal life. Mm -hmm. Something that we learn about him right away is that he has this power to clean souls and clear people's sins, but he, he doesn't do it just by hearing confessions he does it by actually extracting the soul which is a skill that people can do in the qtcu interesting (laughs) and he does whatever he has to do and he returns them to the people and they're free of sin for the time being it's got kind of like an an exorcist feeling he starts doing it for people that are just in the community but Mm -hmm. then some criminals catch on And they obviously have a lot of things that they need cleaned. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And and so he starts working with some of uh, some some mobsters and just some like kind of petty criminals at first. And he thinks he's doing the Lord's work by kind of correcting these people. But once he starts seeing these are repeat customers. Yeah. And at one point, a big boss comes in, offers to pay him. They want to get their souls cleaned after each crime they commit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He starts getting this money from these criminals and realizes this is kind of a, a side business. Yeah. So then he's attracting more criminals. At first he didn't like it. Now he's getting money for it. He likes it. Yeah. Starts charging yeah. more and more mob bosses here and there, and nice. he's making a killing now. He kind of is like at first putting it back into the church, then is like, I was gonna say, I think we should have scenes of him throwing like the dankest church parties <laughs> that the town has ever seen. He is straying further from his life of God. Oh, yeah. Okay, I like that. And he is even to the point where he's got this new girlfriend. Actually, you know what we, we should do? We need to cast... Oh, Brett. yeah. Good call. Good Because I, I like to cast Brett. Thinking about what he looks like in Pulp Fiction, he's kind of a younger dude. He has, like, his crew with him, but I'm just... The, the person that I'm picturing... I, I've been seeing a few things with, with Andy Samberg lately. He's Jewish. Oh, no, that's a good point. <laughs> no one would mistake him for a Gentile. That's a, that's a good point. No, that's fair. I, I that's have fair. another suggestion, perhaps. Weird that you had that ready to go, but... What about Evan Peters from American Horror Story fame? Oh. When I, when I look at him on, online, I, I, kinda, I can see that character transposed into Pulp Fiction itself. He has a lot of range in that he can play a more grungy guy or he could play the more buttoned up type yeah and he could definitely play younger so i i think that would be a good one he's definitely a talented actor okay all right cool so yeah. evan, evan peters is brett i think that's a i think that's a solid choice yeah and then his girlfriend that comes onto the scene mm-hmm. it has to seem like a, a far remove from the church life somebody that can play a woman that is a free spirit kind of Kathy Bates, also from American Horror Story fame. <laughs> we'll just steal all of the uh, Horror Story characters. What about uh, Zoe Kravitz for The Girlfriend? Ooh, Marshall, you said 
the right words. That is one of my favorite actresses. <laughs> Zoe Kravitz is a really good one. Yeah, that she is a really definitely... good one. I would cast Zoe Kravitz in any of my movies. She's great. <laughs> uh, okay, I can see that. She she can she can definitely play that kind of character that starts to influence Brett a little bit more. You don't have to just pay you know get get a couple bucks fine that's good but mm-hmm. you know we can do more with these souls yeah we can do more mm-hmm. we can we can even if the person isn't going to be missed what if we just offed them and sold the soul for to the devil yeah or sold that soul to somebody else even richer you know what i think would make her character a lot more compelling is if she wasn't she's not in it because he's making the money more than anything she's like a business manager she mm-hmm. is the brains behind the operation I that like he's that. too naive weak whatever you want to call it to take advantage of himself yeah. she is the crime boss for this syndicate i, I like that because i can see him getting pushed around a little bit until yeah. she comes onto the scene and uh eventually the road keeps winding until it gets them to the biggest crime boss in la marcellus wallace oh i like that mm-hmm. yeah who, who obviously has a reason for his soul to be cleaned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is where the conflict kind of manifests brett realizes this is the mother load if i can sell marcellus's wallace's soul to somebody they're gonna get whatever they want because (laughs) this is a soul with a lot of sin and that's capital in the in hell so that's what the conflict is he's he's over here he's trying to get the soul to the buyer or to the devil or whatever you want to do and marcellus wallace is trying to track him down trying to track him down following him to different parts of la but i just feel like one of the very last scenes they've killed somebody that they think is the last hitman that marcellus can send oh yeah okay i like that. and the the very last scene is them carrying the briefcase into big kahuna burger oh that's interesting (laughs) i like that (laughs) what do you think about that here's i i really like that ending i like the incorporating the big kahuna burger Mm -hmm. i think i have at least a plot point that we could use to tie up two loose ends from the movie cool one we know that there's an informant in his crew yeah. And two, we know that Zoe Kravitz isn't there. She's very suspicious of this new person on their squad. Uh-huh. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like how Marcellus Wallace can keep finding them. Oh, yeah. And she thinks that he may be responsible for, because, like, why haven't they already given the devil this soul? You know, so for whatever reason, she doesn't like um, Marvin, and she takes off. She gets away, at least as far as we know, scot-free. I like that. One last key thing that is awesome about the scene in the movie when he reads ezekiel twenty five seventeen is that he asks brett right before that do you read the bible brett and his answer is yes we got it him. it fits right in with this pitch it's, there's absolute continuity ladies and gentlemen we got him we got him <laughs> we got him we did it it's the perfect pitch <laughs> we promised that we would give you a great thanksgiving bit party and this is the one (laughs) this is what i'm thankful for we have to do one last thing we have to cast marcellus wallace i feel like he's going to be a critical person and we also obviously have to cast jeff goldblum oh yes um does somebody have an idea for marcellus wallace similar to the age that we see in in pulp fiction a little bit older than brett yeah so like a like a simbad maybe (laughs) (laughs) put him on the back burner We'll keep Sinbad as an option. Sinbad can be on the callback list, but (laughs) I'm sure we can find somebody better than that. Brennan, do you have somebody? What about Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta? 
He plays Donald Glover's cousin. Okay. Who's a, a successful rapper oh. that Donald Glover gets involved with as a as a manager. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Uh yeah, I mean he's a he's a bigger guy. He's got the right build, I think, and I uh, he's growing his acting career. I I don't think he would be opposed to maybe bulking up for the role of Marcellus Wallace. Okay, yeah, cuz I see Marcellus Wallace is a is a really kind of formidable individual yes. in pulp fiction. I'd want to maintain that. Uh, and while I feel that Sinbad has an amazing screen presence, he might just be a little too old. Sinbad has the gravitas. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. that you could teach that to this, uh, what I'm going to call young Sinbad. Yeah. yeah. Brian Certainly. Tyree Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling Stone called him young Sinbad. <laughs> <laughs> We can't move on until we do the most important thing. Let's get our man into <laughs> this movie. Uh, where does Jeff Goldblum fit in? Uh, I think I've got an idea for the Bloom. I think he should play a man from Brett's congregation that shows up two or three times in a movie because he has such good intentions, such a nice guy, but he cannot stop sinning. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's just like sleeping around maybe gambling drinking a little bit but he's so charming when he comes up it's like ah, i just need i know i'm back i just need one more and he's always getting his soul cleansed yeah he just keeps getting his soul cleansed yeah. so we got That's good. evan peters as brett the preacher turned criminal the yeah. soul cleaner of the mob Ooh, i like that brett's girlfriend played by zoe kravitz of course the most talented woman she is incredibly talented Marcellus Wallace, played by Brian Tyree Henry. And now all we have to do is a title for the film. Oh, okay. I'm guessing you thought of some while you were on your I thought your of run. like five. <laughs> but let me run this, these first two by you. See how, how it goes. Okay. Uh, then I have one that I think I really kind of like, but I need to check to see if it's already been uh, a movie title. Okay. Actually... You know why we need to check? I was told that our movie title for the Scream episode is actually a real movie. Fuck! Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which, I, it, it's such a, like, straightforward hotel movie title, no vacancy. We should have guessed. We, should, we looked up Hotel 666. <laughs> we should have just named it that. Anyways, how about this? Soul Cycle. <laughs> Soul Cycle. What about this? Uh, this is going to be another callback. Okay. Soul Glow. <laughs> oh, there you go. A la Coming to America. Soul Glow. No? Uh, those are good. Those are good. Um, but I think they don't match the tone of the movie, maybe. Mm, Royale with Cheese. You know, I thought that that would be a good one. <laughs> I was into go. that. Actually, there's one more that I had. It... It takes inspiration from the speech that Jules gives before he shoots people. Okay. The quote is Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. I see where you're all going with this. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Long title. All of that whole right, title. Right at the beginning. Just path of the righteous. Oh, there we go. What do you think about that? That works on a lot of levels. Yeah, I, it does. I like that a lot. Path of the Righteous sounds pretty dope. Yeah, and it's not a title of another movie. <laughs> no, thank goodness. You're 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 ten for ten on this one. I killed this episode. Yeah, nailed it. You didn't even need us. 
here's what I do need from you all. I need you to share this $4 million that we're about to pocket. Just to recap, we all get 1.25 mil. Uh Uh-huh. Landis, the show quitter, he (laughs) gets 250,000. And what we do with this money is use it as quickly and frivolously as possible. If you subscribe to our other podcast with our friend Arthur, (laughs) Arthur's Mad Money, then you'll hear some financial advice. And one piece of important advice that he's given us is as as soon as you get that money, spend it because you can't get taxed on money that you've already spent. Nope, nope. IRS comes to your door. What are they looking for? You don't have it anymore. I don't have it. It's got, <laughs> look around. I don't got it. Smart man. He's a smart man. So I need to know what you're going to spend your 1.25 on. I'll go, I'll go first for this. Go for it. For expanding the Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe. Sure. He's going to have to get onto streaming. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus came out not too long ago. He's got options. He needs to get involved with this with this market. I think a good way to do that would be with an actual Fox Forest 5 show. The pilot that Mia Wallace, played by Uma Thurman, starred in that was never picked up by a TV studio. And I would love to produce it. Maybe yeah. a million is not enough to fully produce a show, but it would be enough to start. Yeah. And we got the idea already. Well, you know, you're right. It might not be enough to complete the show, but I have a feeling that there is a co-producer that may be interested in this project. Well, perfect. So I'm going to give a little shout out to my girlfriend, Ileana, for recognizing in the opening credits that the one and only Danny DeVito (laughs) is a co-producer on Pulp Fiction. The actual Danny DeVito. Shouts out to Ileana. (laughs) For this she pulled that in like a second i'd literally never noticed before nope he has the best bit part in this movie yeah yeah and he's just in the opening credits it's done <laughs> so maybe danny devito wants to get on another quentin tarantino project we would work great together i know we would just have to add a gimp scene that's his one <laughs> requirement he was the one in the gimp suit. <laughs> that's what i'm just realizing i need <laughs> to be in the gimp suit <laughs> marshall what would you do with $1.25 million? I know exactly what I would do. Okay. I would create a Jackrabbit Slims franchise. Ah, oh, very nice. Yes. The throwback restaurant from the movie. A lot of cars. Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of cars, all the uh, impersonators, celebrity, celebrity impersonators. Would you hire Steve Buscemi onto your uh, wait staff? He's a must. Yeah, he's got to be there. <laughs> and if we could get Goldblum after he's done with our movie, then that's a plus. That we could get. Even better. Okay, you guys have two good ways to use your money. So let me see about this. One key element of this film is Vincent Vega's Malibu. His classic Chevy Malibu, 1960s. Oh, really nice. hot. I think that I kind of want a Chevy Malibu. Now, I have 1.25 million, and when I looked online, it looked like they were going for about 50K each for a nice one. <laughs> so I can get like 20. <laughs> a fleet of so them. I'm going to have a fleet of Chevy Malibus, and I, you know, I'd give them out to people that come to Bros Giving. 
Oh, that's oh, that's a really there, good idea. That's a good idea, huh? That's a really good idea. I've noticed that when we when we buy things, we either buy like trips, buildings, or fleets of vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have like thirty tanks and twenty Chevy Malibus, <laughs> and a bed and breakfast, and my own bed and breakfast. I'll use whatever is left from that money to enhance my bros giving even more. Oh wow, that'd I'll be do, great! Like gold flakes on the turkey. Wow. <laughs> Shit, Negro, that's all you had to say. I think that we honestly might have done Pulp Fiction some justice here. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a real intimidating endeavor from the the get go. But yeah. I feel like we we really had some some good laughs here and 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 did a good job for the QTCU to bring a new film. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, just in signing off, I guess we want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to everybody and. We're super thankful for all of our listeners, you know? Yeah. Right? For each other. And for each other, for our families. Not so much that. For our Malibus. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're we're super grateful and thankful for each other. And uh, so far, this has been a fun season. Yeah. And the holidays are right around the corner. And like I said at the beginning, best time to be a movie podcaster. Most fun. Definitely. Coming up. Brent, would you like to sign us off? Absolutely. From Bit Party and the Cotta Brothers, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, and I'm Brendan Cotta. I'm Jared Cotta. And I'm Marshall Cotta. Look out for Path of the Righteous, coming to a theater near you. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget, you can like, share, and subscribe on either Apple or Spotify. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at bitpartypod. And if you'd like to send us an email, we're bitpartypod at gmail.com. Bitparty now has t-shirts available. Just go on Amazon and search Kata Brothers to grab yours now. This episode is produced by the very talented T. Coop. You can check out his music on Spotify and on his website now. Just go to tcoopmia.com. That's T-C-O-O-P-M-I-A dot com. Tune in next time when we trudge through the forests of Vietnam with Johnny Depp and Keith David. Until then, we're the Cotter Brothers, and this has been Bit Party. Our ode to the bit parts that stole our hearts.